0: I grew up with a bit of a broken family. I spent a little bit of time in a few different foster homes and uh, I really struggled with some things like uh, self-image. I struggled with uh, fitting in with school. I got involved in uh, drugs and alcohol and smoking and it was all just because I was just unhappy with myself and it just kind of filled that void that Uh, I didn't really even know where it came from I just uh, one thing just kind of led to another and I just had lost control so bad that I didn't really have a way out. I just kind of felt like I had used all my options and um, that's when I really just kind of gave up. I felt like I was on autopilot a lot where I would just wake up complete what I needed to do for the day. And then as soon as I was done, I would just run back into my room and just, I mean, usually I just kinda got high and slept the day away. So that's for the most part what I did. And then uh, whenever I had to stop doing that, I just, like I couldn't return back to, just back to being normal. Like I, I couldn't ever just put it down and just go out and try something else like once I once I got on on the drugs I really just that's it I just every single morning I'd wake up and I'd think about it and every night before I went to bed there was no chance I was falling asleep unless I had it so there were times where I wanted to just end it all but I didn't want it to be me like I wanted to like I don't know get hit by a car or just like run run away into the woods or I did. I never wanted it to be me who did it, because I don't know. Maybe I was afraid of that.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you guys. I'm really thankful that uh, I can be here with you guys today, and I'm thankful that you are here. Today is a very special day, and if if you're new. Um, we have something in common, because I'm really new, too. And so uh, hopefully that will make you feel a little bit more comfortable as you're here with us. Um, man, Noah's story, that first half of it. We we stopped there for a reason. Um, and we're, we're going to share with you the rest of Noah's story here in a minute. But it, it's heavy, isn't it? You can hear... It. You can hear in his voice, you can hear the, the, the pain and the, and the struggle, the, the trouble and the hurt and the searching that if you're anything like me, I'm familiar with. I, I'm sure you've felt that. I'm sure that you have experienced in life that, that there's disappointments and there's stuff that just doesn't quite feel right in this world, and I've found that, and that's why, for me, Easter is so incredibly powerful, because, you know, when we gather here, like, on on Easter morning, it feels like it's all hip, hip, hooray, and it's great, and it's awesome, But, but really, the Easter story doesn't start anything like that. That's not how it starts at all. When you read the Easter story, you've got to you got to back up a little bit. And if you back up a little bit, even if you just back up 1 week in the Easter story, you find out that that things were dark and heavy and painful. Ima- imagine this. Someone who you've become like incredibly great friends with More than that, someone that you looked up to more than anybody else, someone that you expected to do great things, not just great things, but like change the world things, shows up one day and tells you, hey, I know we've been great friends, but but I'm I'm leaving. (laughs) You're what? No, I'm leaving. I'm I'm out. Where are you going? Well, I'm, I'm leaving the earth. That, that's what Jesus did in the days leading up to his death. He gathered everybody together and, and he, he, he looked at his, maybe one of his closest friends, one of his closest followers, a man named Peter. He looked him in the eye, sat across the table from him and he said this, Hey Peter, can I tell you something? You are going to deny me. You're going you're gonna to deny that you even knew me, much less wanted anything to do with me. You want to talk about dark, heavy, painful. And then he looked at another one of the followers, another guy that was, frankly, he was a little sketchy along the way. And... and you know, let's be honest. We've all been a little sketchy from time to time, too, right? But he he looked at him and he said, "Hey, I want to tell you something. Not only are you going to deny me, you're you're going to be, you're going to betray me. You're going to turn me in for a bag full of money, so that I can be crucified at the hands of the Romans and." It's not going to go well. You don't talk about a spiritual darkness settling in. I mean, the, the the scripture tells us that after he said that, that that man, his name was Judas, he left the room and Satan physically like entered into his body and took over. There was a spiritual heaviness, a, a spiritual darkness that led to like, eventually it led to such a great depression that, that Judas took his own life. I mean, those are the very things that, Like Noah's talking about. But here's the beauty of Easter. It didn't stop there. Jesus did go to that cross. He was crucified like a criminal at the hands of the most powerful people on planet earth at the time. He did die. His body was wrapped up and placed in a tomb, and, and, and people got so freaked out, the, you know, the, the Roman leader there got so freaked out that somebody would come in and, and steal his body that they sealed the tomb so nobody could get in or out. But the reality of Easter forces us to ask a question, did Jesus rise? Now here's the thing, I believe that he did, but I believe something even bigger than that, I believe that Jesus did rise and the resurrection absolutely changes everything. So that's what I want to talk with you about for just a couple of minutes, this idea that if Jesus rose, then it changes everything. I mean, I think not just for Noah, and not just for me, but for you. I think it changes everything. Now, one of the things that we have to wrestle with is if he didn't rise, then, then religion is pretty useless and faith is pretty useless. Um, I want to share with you this quote from Tim Keller, he was a pastor in New York City, and he he said this, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And it's really easy to think that like, the issue with Christianity is right and wrong. Do I follow the rules? Do I fit in? Did I do everything? But, but that's not the issue, and this is why Easter, and this is why us gathering here is such a big deal, because everything rises and falls on the question of whether or not Jesus rose. Let me just share with you the account, um, some writings of a man named Paul who wrote to the church in Corinth, And they were kind of wrestling with this idea of people rising from the dead, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12, and I'm I'm gonna read you a number of verses here. It says this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Apparently they were struggling with whether or not You know, people would, there was life after death. They probably, they kind of wrestled with something that I think people wrestle with today. It's like you live and then you die and then that's it. You know, so take advantage of this life. Get as much out of it as you can right now. And then when you're dead, that's it. It's not a new issue. But Paul, he, he points out to them. He says this in verse 13. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Think about what you're saying. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then what's the point? Right? Verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. In other words, so anybody who testifies to Christ and testifies to the resurrection, you know, any pastors, any Christian leaders, whatever, whoever speaks about they're all lying if Christ wasn't raised. Everything, everything in here. See, I, I grew up thinking that this was kind of a rule book. Did you grow up like that? I grew up thinking that this was the... You know, you do these things and and God blesses you because you've been a good little boy. And if you you don't do these things, then watch out, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get whacked because, you know, you've broken the rules. I grew up thinking that. But you've got to know and understand that that's not the idea of Christianity. The fact is, yeah, we've all broken the rules, every single one of us. And it all hinges, everything in here hinges on the resurrection. He goes on and he says this, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, you might as well just make fun of Christians or religious people because we're wasting our time and wasting our lives. See, Christianity or any religion without the resurrection, frankly, is useless. But Paul was writing all of this to set up what shows up in the next verse. I want to show it to you. In verse 20, here's what it says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Period. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to take the time to try to give you all of the proof for this, but I, I believe there's more proof for the resurrection of the dead than any other historical, you know, idea, historical truth that we take for granted. We take take things that happened in the past for granted. The fact that there were, you know, 12 men who were nobodies who risked their lives to take a stance and say, no, he's alive. I don't care what you say, bro. He's alive. And their lives were dramatically changed. The first ones to testify were, were several women, and that doesn't sound strange in our culture, but in their culture, those would not be the first people that you would have saying, yep, he's alive, because they, they couldn't testify in court. They couldn't even own property. I mean, there's all there's all kinds of differences. Here's my point. There's so much proof for the resurrection, so here's here's what I want to kind of just leave you with here today. If you already believe, I want you to know a couple of things. But if you're here today and you're not, you're not really sure where you're at. I, I want to tell you what would be true if you believe. Okay, the scripture is really, actually, quite plain on that. If you decide. Today or tomorrow or whenever it will be, if you decide to believe that Jesus did actually die on your behalf, not because you deserved it, because let's be honest, deep down, we're a lot more like Noah than maybe we'd like to admit. We feel it. We're full of pain and shame and guilt, and we're struggling. And we've tried a lot of things, and it's not working. But if you would admit that and acknowledge your need for someone who you know, lived the life that you should have lived and then died the death that you deserved to die in your place, and then God demonstrated that it was enough by raising him from the dead. If you would put your faith in Him, I want you to know what would be true of you, of Him. Three simple truths that you can know that would be true of you okay, if you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. Number one, if Jesus rose and you put your faith in him, you need to know this, then your faith will be useful. Your faith is useful and it is true. Here's what I mean. Have you ever struggled with guilt and shame? You ever struggled with wondering if you were enough? You ever struggled with that? I've, I've wrestled with that. And the reality is that faith steps in, and then God speaks over us, and he says something. He says, it is finished. That's what Jesus said. Those were some of his last words. Like, it's enough. It's paid for. That faith is useful. And listen, this is I read this to you earlier, but this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Then verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. What's he saying? He's saying if Jesus wasn't raised, then your faith is useless, and it's not even true. But the reality is, since he has been raised, and we can be sure of it, your faith is useful, and it is true, and you can bank on it. I mean, I, I've already mentioned this, but I know that the greatest source for me of struggle and pain has been my, my choices and my shame. And now I, I know because of Jesus I am accepted, I am loved, I am known, I am part of a family. That sounds awful good if you ever find your, yourself in a place struggling kind of like Noah was. Let me show you. Look at what Paul wrote to a different church in Ephesians, or the the church of Ephesus, okay? In Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, he's talking about people who put their faith in Jesus. And this is what he says. Look, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to, to sonship through Jesus Christ. In other words, this is all yours when you put your faith in Jesus. He chose you. He's accepted you, you've been brought in, you've been adopted. <laughs> That's who you, you are. So if Jesus rose, your faith your faith is useful and true. Second, if Jesus rose, then you need to know that you have freedom from sin. Now that may not sound like a big deal if you're pretty satisfied with your sin. I'll be honest with you, if you're pretty satisfied with where you're at, that that probably doesn't appeal to you. But at some point, you're going to hit a wall where you go, man, this is bad. This is hurting me and hurting other people. I keep having all these broken relationships. I keep seeing all these problems, and I've been ignoring them for a long time. And, And if you start tracing the lines back to where it comes from, you're going to figure out that you are not the source of fixing all the problems. You're actually the source of your problems. So the idea of freedom from sin is really, really big. So I want you to see what Paul wrote. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, he said, And if Christ has been raised, your faith is futile. And not only that, you're still in your sins. So that's really bad news. Like, you've still got to figure out the whole sin thing. You've got to figure out still standing before God. Somebody made you. You didn't just get here by accident. You're here, and you're going to have to give an account for your life. I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And if Jesus didn't raise, then what's your solution?" You want to play the teeter-totter game, the balance game of, well, I did some, I had a little bit of good over here, and that kind of outweighed the, the bad, and when do you know? How good is good enough? When do you know? But the resurrection settles it, period. That's why the resurrection matters, because you have freedom from sin. And not only that, in the future, if you were to put your faith in Jesus today, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, there's hope. You've got to know that. There's hope. I don't care what you've done. There's hope. But in the future, you won't have to continue to struggle with those same sins. You will be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection. That's the truth. Let me show you the work that Jesus did, because like, I, I kind of struggle with that inner shame and and, and uh, wrestle with it from time to time, but Paul wrote to the church of Colossae, okay? By the way, real quick, Paul was a, was a guy who, whose life was drastically changed. He was involved in persecuting Christians and pursuing them and trying to murder them, and his life was drastically changed. So if you think you can't fit in, I'm going I'm to tell you, <laughs> there's hope. So he wrote to the church of Colossae, and here's what he said in verses, verse 13 of chapter 2. He said, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision, that word, don't don't get worried about that word. It just means uncleanness. It's just the, it's not clean, the uncleanness of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. Verse 14, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, picked it up and taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. Think about that. Think of all of your guilt and shame. If you could wrap it up and put it in a ball, Jesus, he took it, he picked it up away from you, he carried it away, and he paid for it by nailing it to the cross. I don't know if there's a better verse in all of scripture than that. And that's yours. Through the resurrection, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can have freedom from your sin. Number three. If Jesus rose, then I want you to know that you have hope not just for this life, but for the next. And by the way, there is a next life. In fact, this world is not our home. This world is, if you can imagine a line that stretches into eternity, a line that starts at this wall and stretches into eternity, your life, you're 70, maybe 80. Some of you maybe, I know, I think we have a a gal in in the church here who's like 90-something. That is awesome, right? Right? Your life is but a dot on that line. So maybe we should think about the next life. Look look at what Paul wrote, verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep, it's a euphemism for death. And Christians use that idea because we know that when we die here, you wake up in eternity. So we know it's like falling asleep. Okay, that's why he does that. Those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Verse nineteen. If only for in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Here's my point. If Jesus rose, then you can know without a shadow of a doubt what the rest of that line looks like for you. Because Christ left. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I go, you can go. And, and, you you know, where I'm going, you can also be with me. That's what Jesus went to do. He went to prepare a place for you and me so that we could spend eternity with him. Years ago, I read a um, an account of an interview that Dan Rather, if you, you, you remember, you know, uh, I realize I'm older than a bunch of you in this room now, which is weird to think. But Dan Rather used to be a news anchor, a journalist, okay? And he interviewed a man named Jack Welch. Some of you may know that name. But Jack Welch was, uh, at the time, CEO of General Electric. And he was known as Jack the Knife. He was a very cutthroat CEO. Like if something wasn't performing, he didn't care. He would cut it. And he he was very good at making the companies he worked for lots and lots of money. So he became famous for that. And one day, Dan sat down to interview him, and they did it on TV, and and Dan asked him what I thought was an incredible question, but his response was even better. He asked him this. He said, what is the toughest question you've ever been asked? And I, I love this. He responded. This is what Jack Welch said. He said, the toughest question I've ever been asked is this. Do you think you will go to heaven? (laughs) Woo! How about you? How are you going to answer that? And so Dan asked him, he said, okay, so how did you respond? That's a tough question. How did you respond? You want to talk about a God moment on national TV, right? Look at how he responded, though. And I, I think I can offer you something better. He responded by saying this, it's a long answer, but I said that if caring about people, if giving it your all, if being a great friend counts, despite the fact that I've been divorced a couple of times, I mean, sure, I, you know, messed up a bunch of relationships, but, but you know, I was a good, I was a great friend, you know, despite the fact that I've been divorced a couple of times and no one's proud of that. I haven't done everything right all the time. I think I got a shot. You catch that? I think I got a shot. I'm in no hurry to get there and to find out any time soon. All I want to say to you is this. Listen, I think you can have more than a shot because the resurrection is true. Do you remember what Curtis said when you first walked in? He accounted the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet they will live You can know that you have eternal hope. So I want to leave you with this. I want to ask you one simple question. If Jesus rose, if he did, and I believe he did, what will it change for you? You see, I've had a week that's been filled with pain and struggle. Last Sunday, my wife and I got to go sit out and just have a few moments. We'd had a long day of, of ministry back in Kansas City, and um, we got to go sit down and just have a few minutes together, and then my phone rang. And it was a mom of a 27 year old guy who, who had worked for, for, for my business. And she started crying, and she said, Aaron, Levi's gone. I just lost it he started working for me four years ago he got into drugs got into alcohol showed up to work started fights with me and so I had to let him go and a month later he came back and he 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 owned it and he asked forgiveness and asked if he could earn his job back and so he started working for me again and he took off and was changing it was great but one day we're riding together in a truck and started talking to him, asking questions. He said, Aaron, don't talk to me about that God stuff. I said, okay, but I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. And then he called me two months ago. And he, his grandfather's dying and he's never had a good male figure in his life besides his grandfather. And he said, what am I going to do And we got to start talking about God. But as far as I know, Levi never made that choice. Now, that's a heavy story to tell you. But I tell you because I want you to know that it is is imperative for you to wrestle with this for yourself. Would you watch the rest of Noah's story?
0: Um, It wasn't until I was at work having a really bad night where this older lady uh, seen how much I was struggling and she kind of pulled me aside and uh, she decided that she was gonna pray for me and I hadn't had that happen in a very long time. I had kind of forgotten about God. and um, After she did that it was kind of in my head for the next few weeks and she kept coming to see me and she kept praying for me and it made me feel a lot better. I actually started looking forward to those nights. I kind of was really curious about God like I started uh, growing interest in going into church and my dad started dating this girl and she was regular at Bridgewater so she was very comfortable with inviting people and um, my dad was a little afraid to go by himself, I feel like, and he decided that we could go as a family, and that wasn't something that I had done in a long time. So I went, and uh, the message that day was something that really spoke to me. I, it was one of those sweaty, sweaty church messages where I was just yeah. kind of like, oh no. And I thought about it for the whole week until Sunday came around again, and they asked again, and I definitely wanted to go after that. I I worked up the courage to pull one of the pastors aside and tell him about what I was struggling with. And it gave me uh, this wonderful small group. After I was going for a while, I really started to accept that God had a plan for me. And I didn't have control and I wanted to surrender. So I asked him to become my personal savior. And uh, after that, I was filling out a form to get baptized. I felt like I didn't want to be the person I was anymore and I wanted to really commit myself. I wanted to be a godly man. A lot of the scripture that I read about like being created in God's image really speaks to me because uh, I just kind of sit there in awe and I'm like, wow, like he went through all that trouble and it's a psalm, but it talks about um, you're woven, like he, he, you're woven in your mother's womb. My small group leader was telling me that the Hebrew word is embroidered. And it's not just that you're woven, so it's like you're actually, he's actually taking a lot of time with you and he's really considering like your whole future. And like, uh, that just, yeah, that, that one really hit home. Like I, I, I sunk in and I was like just thinking and uh, I hadn't really had anyone value me like that before. And uh I I just, I was very grateful, and I just, like, if somebody is going to love me that much, then I really want to love them back. I'm just glad to have found a family at a church like this.